We're going to be in uh, Luke 19. We're doing a two-week mini-series here on what our vision is for the next few years as a church. Uh, so we'll be in Luke 19 this morning. Just want to uh, celebrate a small thing with you. Uh, if you were at Regen in like 2017, 2018, 2016, we had some interns in that season, Danny Drescher and Kat Drescher, and this week uh, they signed a contract with a church in Illinois, and they are going to work for like some of our best friends in ministry, our parents in some ways. Those of you that were at the, not many of us, if some of you would remember, there was a marriage retreat the weekend before COVID started here at Regen. Uh, Chael and Jen Tiller led that. They went to go work with Chael and Jen, so we're really excited about that. Um, just really proud not only of who Daniel, he's going by Daniel now, just FYI, that's his adult name. So, uh, so Daniel and Kat, we're just really proud of not just what they do, but who they are. And, um, you know, we're starting a youth ministry this fall. I'm going to be kind of putting my shoulder behind that first semester, equipping a team that's going with me to lead that. Holden's going to be a part of that. Tim Nowry's going to be a part of that. Mike and Jenna Frisk are going to be a part of that. Uh, but you only really have about one semester of youth ministry in me. I did it for two and a half years, and that was about two years and five months too long. Um, so Chael is hiring a youth pastor, and if we felt at all any interest in doing youth ministry and did not feel so deeply called to what God is doing here, we would have probably gone and worked for them. So we just love them, so we're really excited about that. I just want to share that with you because we invested... Um, time and uh, financial capital in them, and just excited to see the Lord bearing that, bearing fruit in that. Uh, the downside is that I can't really ever offer Dan and Kat a job unless I want to steal from one of my close friends, you know what I mean? So that stinks, but uh, Luke 19, let's, let's meet there. Um, Jack, our son Jack, he's a reader, uh, so every night before bed, every afternoon before nap, we read him a story or two, and, uh, well, I read to Jack, although he, he, he does know what most of the books say as you're reading them to him. He's got quite the brain, but he loves books, and so it's not uncommon that he'll pick a book, and then we'll kind of read that over multiple bedtimes and nap times, so this weekend it was uh, Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. If you, loved Green, if you loved Dr. Seuss books as a child, you need to go apologize to your parents because they're like the worst to read. <laughs> um, so uh, if you're familiar with Green Eggs and Ham, there's this dude who does not like Green Eggs and Ham. He does not like them. Sam, Sam I Am. So Sam I Am is trying to get this dude to like Green Eggs and Ham. So he's creating a lot of offers, right? What about a house? Would you eat Green Eggs and Ham in a house with a mouse? with a fox in a box on a plane in the dark. Um, all sorts of options, right? And over and over again, what does he say? I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. Sam, I am. So I'm reading this, and maybe I've read it just a few many, too many times this weekend, but the thought occurred to me that if we replaced the words green eggs and ham with evangelism and sharing your faith, every Christian could have written, I do not like green eggs and ham. <laughs> right? Well, what about in a house? You know, have people over. No, I do not like green eggs and ham. What about on a plane? You'll never see that person again. Just talk to the person next to you on a plane about Jesus. I do not like green eggs and ham. What about a mouse? Have green eggs and ham with a mouse. Start easy. I do not like green eggs and ham, right? And so what do we see uh, in, in the book is 
Samayam eventually like just twists his arm and cajoles this dude until he just like eats a bite of green eggs and ham to get the guy off his back. And then what does he say? I think I like green eggs and ham. I think I like them, Samayam. And I think maybe for some of us, that's kind of the pathway into sharing our faith that uh, we resist it and we resist it and we resist it. And then the Lord kind of puts us in a position where we have no other choice but to do it. And that's kind of what happened to Steph and I. We were raised uh, in a tradition where we were regularly hearing sermons about sharing your faith and telling others. And with that came a lot of guilt and shame because it wasn't really working. And then one night we bump into Zach and Jenna Byler at an ice cream store and then one thing leads to another and we're like sharing our faith with them. And I discovered in that process, I actually do like green eggs and ham. But, but here's the thing, if you don't like green eggs and ham, you now attend a church that we have been saying steadily for months now, this should not come as a surprise, what's our vision? Our vision is to give everyone in our neighborhoods and networks an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the good news. We're going to do a three-year journey, a three-year investment in outward movement, which means if you don't like green eggs and ham, this could really be terrible for you, right? And it puts me in the position of like having to be like Sam I am, twist your arm and cajole you and push you and push you and push you uh, to share your faith unless, unless we take a different approach. And that's the approach I want to take this morning because we contemplate this three-year vision and we'll share a little bit about what that looks like. As we contemplate this vision, instead of cajoling you and twisting your arm and pressuring you from the pulpit and in groups, and getting you to change your mind, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the heart of Jesus. I want to look at the heart of Jesus, and I want the heart of Jesus to change your heart. And in a change of heart for you, for there to be a change of mind, that maybe, just maybe, you might like green eggs and ham. So let's look at Luke chapter 19 together. Luke 19. Starting in verse 1. Now, if you grew up in church, you have a song about this, okay? If you didn't, you're not missing much, okay? It's just a song. Hey, now. (laughs) Jesus entered Jericho and has made his way through the town, and there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Let me just stop you there. Um, the, you may have heard me say this before, but the New Testament, it's written in a form of Greek that is similar to what's spoken in modern day, but also very distinct. And uh, the Greek construction of verse 3 makes it unclear, this line, he was too short, is that Jesus was too short or Zacchaeus was too short. It's hard to tell, Right? I once said out loud, quote, who wouldn't look better if they were a little taller? So, sorry, Jesus, I guess, if if Jesus is short. Verse 4, so he, Zacchaeus, ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, now, by the way, no indication that Jesus knows who this guy is ahead of time, knows. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down 
and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. I imagine that's exactly what you feel when someone invites themselves over for dinner at the last minute. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus has committed treason to his neighbors in Jericho. He is a tax collector. A tax collector living in Israel in this time worked for Rome, and they were the ones that on far too regular of a basis, they came and they knocked on your door, and you opened it, and there was Zacchaeus looking for more taxes. I mean, uh, the, the taxes Rome put on its people were crushing. I mean, Zacchaeus is driving, most likely, his friends from growing up. He's driving them into poverty, right? Uh, tax collectors made their income off of adding a little bit. So if you're taxed 40%, he would ask for 65 because that was his way of making money. So tax collectors are cheaters. They're stealers. They are traitors. They are notorious sinners. And look at how Jesus describes him after he has this conversion moment. And by the way, did you notice that there's not like a, a Roman's road like kind of conversion moment. It's he just meets Jesus and it's like, okay, I'll give away half my wealth. And we're like struggling to get to church on time. You know what I mean? And he says, here's half my wealth. And if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay them back four times as much. Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Everybody outside is like a true son of Abraham. This guy's been stealing from me forever. And you're calling him a true son of Abraham? He says... For the Son of Man, that's the way that Jesus describes himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus states his purpose. Jesus gives us his mission statement. Jesus says, I have left the Father's side for this singular purpose to seek and save those who are lost. Now let's just stop for a second and slow play this line. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says he is lost or was until this moment. And that is how the Bible describes every single person apart from the life of Jesus, apart from faith in him. We are lost. Jesus calls us his lost sheep. He's borrowing here from Isaiah 53. It says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Sin, by its nature, is this is God's way, but I go my own way, right? And it used to be like 20 years ago, you had to kind of mount a defense of sin because what we had done was psychologize it away or eradicate it as a category. Fast forward to 2020 and 2021, our culture loves nothing more 
than to talk about sin. The question is, who, what is sinful and who is guilty, right? In the eyes of some, those who support pro-life legislation, they are the sinners, right? And there should be a weight of guilt and shame brought down upon them. Social media has been an interesting place since that law was passed in Texas this week, right? Right? We have conversations about sexuality and defining sin and defining what is God's best for us. And we live in a cultural moment where we've never talked more about sin, but Jesus takes it back and says it's not a right or left thing. Uh, it's not a red state thing or a blue state thing. It's not a progressive Christian versus evangelical Christian or even fundamental Christian, fundamentalist Christian. It, Jesus says it's a human thing, right? We have all sinned. We've all gone our own way. And looking on that, what comes out of Jesus is a passion to seek after lost people. Jesus walks into Jericho and his radar is just so finely attuned to find Zacchaeus. He walks into Jericho and his antennae are up and they point him right to Zacchaeus. It's like Jesus' whole life and heart and his, even his body are just a magnet and he is drawn to sin and he is drawn to brokenness. It's like wherever Jesus goes, he is aware of the lostness of the people around him and his desire is to bring salvation to them. A word that means more than agreement with a set of religious facts. It means wholeness and healing and eternal life and life abundant even now. And that's what Jesus says, I have come to offer lost people. Jesus says that this singular activity, seeking and saving lost people, is why he's here. It's his driving passion. It's what gets Jesus up out of bed in the morning. Jesus is consumed by seeking after lost people and bringing them home. He's consumed by that in the way that you might be consumed by the Browns or another sport. He's consumed by that in the way that you might be consumed uh, with hunting or, or, or your hobbies or with your job or even with your grandkids. He is consumed by these things. Within Jesus' chest is a heart that burns with passion for lost people. A passion to seek them out and bring them home. And so Jesus enters the home of a notorious sinner because when confronted with sin, Jesus responds with compassion. Hear me. When confronted with sin, Jesus responds with compassion. Let me just read out to you some moments from the life of Jesus, okay? For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but to those who know they are sinners. 
Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Jesus saw the huge crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus sees lost, sinful people, what comes out of him is compassion. As Randy would say a couple weeks ago, he reaches out. He doesn't rage out. Now, in the 21st century, our our feelings live in our hearts, right? But 2,000 years ago, in the first century and before that, do you know where your emotions lived? In your bowels, in your guts. Jesus feels compassion. He feels splog dichomai is the Greek word. And splog is this part down in there. That's where your splogs are. (laughs) Jesus sees lostness, and he has a visceral reaction. He responds not at his head or at his heart, but with his gut. At the deepest core of who he is, Jesus is taken over by splagdichomai, by compassion for lost people. And it's because of that compassion he tells this story in Luke chapter 15. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Now a shepherd is listening to this story and thinking, well, actually, I don't know if I would. But Jesus doesn't stop to ask if we agree. He says, And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Listen, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Let me just read that over you again. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. In the past, you may have heard me say the most important person in the room is the one who's not here yet. In the past, you have heard me say that and thought, well, what about me? And I point to you, Luke 15. Which of you would not leave the 99 to go find the one? So you say things like that, and religious people get upset. And you know what? That's why Jesus tells this story. Jesus doesn't tell this story to encourage believers, to encourage those who have already are on the inside. Look at how much God loves you. That's not why he tells that story. That's a secondary application at best. Let me tell you why he tells the story. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, the same phrase he describes Zacchaeus, by the way, other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. As Jesus' heart of compassion moves towards lost people, religious people complain. That's exactly what happens in Luke 19. Zacchaeus, he goes into Zacchaeus' house, and verse 7 says, the people were displeased. He has gone to the guest, to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. That's what religious people do. 
When we say we're going to move out, we say we're going to invest our resources in people that don't know, and we say our first priority will be Jesus' last commandment, go and make disciples of all nations. When we say the most important person in the room is the person that's not here yet, when what rises up in you is displeasure and grumbling and complaining is why Jesus told that story in Luke 15. And what I'm here to suggest to you is that contempt, that contempt, not compassion, but that contempt that came out of these people as they watched Jesus go to Zacchaeus' house is what will come out of you the longer you're in church. It is so easy for contempt to overtake compassion the longer we follow Jesus. And we may not feel that we're feeling contempt, but that's what it is. Here's what contempt sounds like. We look at sinful people and we shake our heads and say, what a shame. That's just too bad. Bless her heart. Oh, we need to be praying for her. Here's what contempt is. Contempt is a feeling of moral superiority because you go to church. As if church were about enshrining good behavior and not remedying bad behavior. That's what church is for. It's remedying bad behavior, not enshrining good behavior. I'll tell you what, sometimes contempt is revealed when we try to fix a person when we want to have all the answers, when we just want to add a notch to our evangelistic belt and move on, sometimes that contempt, here's how it reveals itself, is when we just write a person off. Oh, my brother's never going to really follow the way of Jesus. Oh, yeah, my, my sister's never going to get it. My crazy uncle at Thanksgiving, not going to get it. My crazy aunt, nope. Person next to me at work, mm-mm. And so out of that contempt, we add another layer of contempt. So what we do is instead of kind of holding the line of who's in and who's out and what it means to follow Jesus, we just wash it all over with Midwestern nice. Well, they maybe not, they don't get it all the way, but yeah, they're a Christian. Why? Because they like play football and are nice people? Like what, what makes them explicitly a disciple of Jesus? That's what we're going after, not what they think, but how they live. But it's easier for us to kind of let ourselves off the evangelistic hook by kind of whitewashing another person's behavior with the gospel instead of really having to view ourselves as missionaries in their midst. And see, that's where the other level of contempt comes in. It's no longer just contempt toward the people around us. It's actually contempt toward the Lord. Will not the shepherd leave the 99 to go find the one? Oh, but that's outside my comfort zone, Jesus. And so this apathy toward the lost and this apathy towards God's call on our life, it, it starts to reveal a contempt toward the Lord when the Lord keeps giving us options with a mouse on a plane in the dark in a house with a fox in a box. Won't you like green eggs and ham? No, thank you. Too often we enjoy the privileges of following Jesus without the responsibilities that come with that. 
And I'll tell you what's motivating our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan in this moment. It's not their privileges, it's their responsibilities. It's what's motivating our brothers and sisters in China and in Iran. There's no, the only privilege they feel that they have is, well, when I die, I will see Jesus face to face, so that's not a big deal. So here we are with like a low-grade fever of contempt for lost people. And there's Jesus just overflowing with compassion toward lost people. But do you know how he feels toward religious people that want to find a way out of evangelism? There's a story in Mark chapter 3, and it says, he looked at them with anger, grieved over their hardness of heart. Jesus feels sad. He feels sad that we would receive this gift and keep it to ourselves in the name of postmodern tolerance, you do you, or whatever other form of it. And yet there's Jesus, overwhelmed with compassion, overflowing with compassion. Dane Ortland, in his little book on uh, Gentle and Lowly, there's still plenty of copies for that if you want to grab one. And, and Gentle and Lowly, he says this, if the reactions of Jesus are reflective of who he most deeply is, we cannot avoid the conclusion that the very fallenness which he came to undo, the very sinfulness he came to undo, is that which is most irresistibly attractive to him. Jesus just can't help but find sinfulness attractive. He can't help but want to go toward it. And so here we are on the cusp of a three-year journey of giving everyone in our neighborhoods and networks and our families and workplaces an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the good news. Here we are on a three-year journey of changing the format of our church from teaching center to training center. Right. Here we are on the cusp of three years of making missionary disciples, not spiritual consumers. And that journey has to, has to, has to, has to begin in our hearts. It has to begin in this place where we are most truly who we are. We need to have a gut reaction like Jesus has a gut reaction that when we see lost people, the person handling us our medicine at the pharmacy, the person handing us our coffee through the Starbucks window, the person at the grocery line, the person at our table at Thanksgiving, the person that we text our siblings or our friends, our work, our coworkers, our, the teacher in the room next door, what has to come first is a deeply held compassion for them. A love. We have to begin by asking Jesus to give us his heart, to give us his guts. And so maybe you feel, yes, I'm just oozing with compassion. And maybe if you, some of you say, there's some compassion there, and maybe some of you say there's more contempt than I'd like to own. I just want to invite you this week to be praying with us as we begin this journey and just to pray three simple prayers. A lot of you have heard these before, right? Father, help me see people the way you see people. 
Jesus looks up in a tree and sees this guy named Zacchaeus, and everybody else around him sees this traitorous, treasonous jerk. And Jesus sees a guy in need of wholeness. Father, break my heart for what breaks your heart. Everybody is like so disdain. How could Jesus spend his time with that, with that notorious sinner? Jesus, what a waste. I think, by the way, that's what they were feeling. I think they were concerned about the efficiency. Jesus, no, 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 come over here. There's so many other people that are more ready for the gospel than this guy. But Jesus says, no, my heart's breaking for that dude. He says, Father, help me point someone to Jesus today. We have to begin this three-year journey We have to begin this three-year journey here. There has to be, at first, a heart for lost people, a simple heart for them to know who we know, to experience what we experience, the forgiveness and freedom of Jesus. Because if it comes from anywhere else, growing our church, being right, far too many of you like Jesus because you get to be right by liking Jesus. You don't just like Jesus. It's not about having the right answers. It's not about being right. It's not about growing our church. It's not about fulfilling a vision. It's about having a heart for lost people. It's about saying, man, I I can't keep living this way while other people need him. So what does that three-year journey look like? Um, Just to kind of share this kind of architecture with you. Um, Back in May of 2020, We were just starting to sneak out of our houses for the first time. And we had a family meeting and we shared that Steph and I really felt and other leaders were starting to sense too that, you know, we have three priorities as a church here, up, in, and out. Up, relationship with the Father. In, relationship as a spiritual family. Out, relationship with the least, the last, and the lost. We really really felt like God was saying, okay, this next year, through fall of 2021 is an intentional time of up and in, investing in our whole church's relationship with God and our relationship with each other. So we started doing worship nights and days of prayer, really seeing spiritual temperature increase. We, we, we hosted prayer groups, right? We want to get everybody in our church praying. We built out a care team to help kind of gel together some of those connections. We offered other groups to make sure that we were relating to one another, not just as people that kind of attend the same club, but as a deep well of family, knowing that fall of 2021 right now would begin a three-year investment in outward movement. And so a year later, after we shared that with the Unifamily family meeting, we had a, a leadership retreat. So our oversight team and our staff and our spouses, we all went to Camp Asbury over in Hiram, and we prayed and we worshiped. And here's where we walked out of that from lock step and that this is the direction that we are going. So this is not Kyle back from some sort of conference all hyped up on something. This is over a year of marinating and simmering in and a group of prayerful leaders saying, yeah, this is what God is asking us to do. But here's what we know. Like, let's and do outward movement is vague, right? And so we feel like we have this kind of three-stage arc of involvement that'll be kind of defining our next three years, and we call it the year of blessing, the year of sending, and the year of multiplying. Okay? So this ministry year, 2021 to 2022, is all about the year of blessing. We want everyone in our church to be, without thinking about it, living a lifestyle of blessing toward their neighbors and friends. And so we are offering bless groups. 
What does bless stand for? Begin with prayer, praying for your friends and neighbors and your coworkers, your networks. Listening to them, not, hey, I was praying for you and God told me you need the gospel, here's a tract. Listening for where their heart is. Listening for the pain point to bring the gospel to bear. Eating, offering hospitality together, serving them, and ultimately sharing your story. Here's my contention, and you'll learn this in the book. It's not your job to convert anybody. It's just your job to bless them. So we're offering blessed groups, and I want everyone in our church, I mean everyone in our church, I mean everyone in our church, I mean everyone in our church to be in a blessed group this fall. Unless you're in a huddle, I want you in a blessed group. Right? Oh, my schedule doesn't work. I've got Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night in person in three different locations across our community. I've got Thursday nights online, and I've got Saturday morning. Next, next objection. Right? This is the year of blessing. And some of you are doing these things anyway. I know that. You're good at practicing hospitality. You're listening to people. So it, it's about making what comes to us like implicitly explicit. It's about being intentional about the things that we're doing. At the end of the year, I just want people living a blessed lifestyle. Next year, a year from now, is the year of sending. Sending missionary disciples into neighborhoods and networks to start missional communities. Gathered spaces for lost people in homes and in coffee shops where we're engaging in scripture and having conversation. Sending missionary disciples into neighborhoods and networks to plant missional communities. The year of sending. Then the year of multiplying. Multiplying missionary disciples and missional communities throughout our region and preparing to plant new churches. Hear me on this. Would anybody like to wager a guess at how many adults call Regen home? I don't if you know the answer. Somebody talk to me. 160, actually. 100, Regine guessed. Plus like 80 bajillion small children. As anybody that volunteers in that room knows, if you ever see somebody come out of the hallway looking like this, pray for them. Um, and we've always said that when we hit about 200 people, we'd start looking at planting a church for one reason. A church larger than 200 is not good for Kyle's soul. Just would provide him a platform that's too big for him. And so we want two years from now to be in the stages of planning to start new churches, Right? Um, and, and one of the things you'll notice is those are broad categories. Like here are kind of like three buckets, and you may be thinking like, well, what's in that bucket? And can I tell you, we don't know for sure. And let me tell you why. The last 18 months have taught us that predictability is gone, Right? And so a lot of our pursuit of a naturally supernatural lifestyle increasing spirit dependence is so that we are sensitive to the spirit's leading with what to fill those buckets to meet the missional needs of that moment. Now listen, I'm a highly apostolic, high risk-taking leader. That sounds like so much fun to me. And some of you in the room are like, I, I need flow charts and outlines. And to that I say, trust God. Trust the Holy Spirit to lead us and to fill these buckets with stories that will blow our minds. We are living in what Mark Sayers calls 
a complex environment, not a complicated environment. If you work at like, if you work in manufacturing, if you like work at like GM, that was a complicated environment. But complicated environments are built on predictability. You know that when you press these buttons on the other end will come out a Chevy Cruze, okay? In a complex environment, there's as many if not more moving parts, but we can't predict what will always come out on the other end. Complex environments are ones where small inputs change the whole thing. For example, a small virus in Wuhan, China, changing the nature of the world, right? Um, I've been nerding out on supply chains. It's interesting to think about. I, we're now in a complex world where what we need is more dependence on the Holy Spirit. So what fills those buckets is something that like God knows, but for right now, what we know, this bucket, the year of sending is, the year of blessing, excuse me, the year of blessing is filled with blessed groups. Please join a blessed group. Please. And do more than that. Bless your neighbors, bless your friends, surprise the world, and do it, do it with this heart of love, right? Let the love of Jesus transform your appetite of green eggs and ham. Amen? Amen. Here at Regen, we want to be like the wise builder who builds um, his house on the rock, um, on the word of God. And so when we hear God's word, we want to be transformed by it. And um, I've just been thinking so much this morning that this journey of, of going out just requires a lot of repentance because there's so many things that stop us from doing it, whether that's our own um, fear, whether that's our just busyness or our overwhelm of our own lives, um, whether that's contempt for lost people, whether that's just kind of giving ourselves the out of everyone's a Christian so I don't need to. So our invitation this morning is, what is God highlighting for you? What is an area where he's calling you to repentance so that you can do that out? Where is an area where he's calling you to a better way? So we're just going to take a moment um, and just ask, Father, that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would convict our hearts and our minds of your truth today. Father, we confess this morning that we often only see the barriers to sharing our faith. That we're, Father, we confess short-sightedness. Father, we confess that we don't trust you to do what you say that you'll do. We don't trust you when you say that the harvest is plentiful, but it's the workers who are few. Father, we pray today that you would send us, that we would be faithful workers in this plentiful harvest, that we would be so overtaken with your compassion for the lost, that we would have your heart to go and seek after those who don't know you, that we would have your heart to see them experience the transformation that comes and the freedom that comes from following you. 
So Father, give us your heart this week. Amen.